Andrei Chikatilo grew up in the impoverished and famine-riddled Ukraine at the height of the Soviet Union's dominance over the region. With his father away at war, Chikatilo lived with his abusive mom and grew up witnessing the atrocities of war and the pain and suffering caused by starvation. Today, we'll discuss Chikatilo's upbringing and how it may have led to his sexual shortcomings and his violent, sexually motivated crimes. We'll also look at his early murders and the start of the massive investigation to catch this ruthless serial killer. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If any episode lends itself to a Blue Chew ad, stick around. A little blue pill could have completely altered this flaccid fable. Psst, Blue Chew, we don't really charge that much. Hit us up. This is Necronomapod. From the standpoint, when you're dealing with a sexual sadist, is that they will inflict either psychological or physical pain on the victim. Not because they enjoy inflicting the pain, but they enjoy the suffering that the victim is going through. And so when you look at this type of an individual, the question always comes up as to whether or not it's genetics that create these monsters or whether or not it's the environment that creates these monsters. And of course, as a sexual sadist, no matter how compliant you are with his demands, he's never going to be satisfied with it. And so the punishment is going to continue and continue and continue. So do you guys believe in any conspiracy theories? And if so, what's the wildest one you believe in? I'm going to sit here and drink my beer and listen. Hmm. Let's see, what constitutes a conspiracy theory? So I I think that's up for interpretation, too. I don't believe Oswald acted alone when he killed Kennedy. I 100% agree, and that would be my wildest answer. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I do believe that the Kennedy assassination in itself is a bit of a conspiracy theory when you you think about all the different, um, you know, other possibilities. And so that is my wildest, because I don't believe in a lot of else. I don't think Oswald acted alone. And so that, I would say, is the wildest conspiracy theory I believe in. The forensic stuff I looked at with the magic bullet and all mm-hmm. that, I don't believe is physically possible. Right. Also, just the accuracy of his shooting would yeah. have been ridiculous. Yeah. And I know there was there was there's still questions as to what his marks were when he was in the military, sir, sir, you know, serving, and he was like a marksman and you know did his shooting. There's still questions as to what his grades and score actually yeah. was and the timing necessary to get off those, those shots. And right. None Plus of it added the, up. The FBI's intimidation of the witnesses who said they heard sounds in the grassy knoll, mm. you know, they were intimidated to change their stories. Yeah. I agree. So that, that would be the wildest. I think that I believe you're on the same page as me, Dave. So like, but you believe like in Bigfoot, would you consider that a conspiracy? No, I believe it's just uh, something we haven't figured out yet. I believe in Bigfoot and the Yeti for sure. Okay. I don't consider it a conspiracy. No I, conspiracy to cover it up. No, I don't think so. I just think it's unproven science. Okay. <laughs> you do believe in the moon landing, I as do. we discussed on a bonus show with I do Ed believe from in the moon landing. Dan. Any people that don't believe in the moon landings, uh, you know, they're in the flat earther category. Wow. <laughs> God damn. They are. All right. So you're going you're gonna to go, you're kind of with me on the Kennedy front, would be the biggest. Yeah, I don't. Do you think John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln? And did he act alone? Uh, I believe he shot Lincoln. Do he murdered people, Lincoln. Do some people say that he I just did? made that up. Oh. I just made that up. No, I don't. <laughs> there was a big conspiracy with that, with all the, the planning that went in and the, th- the well, co-conspirators and all that. Sure, as as you can outline in uh, or watch in the movie National Treasure as well. 
Yeah, that's all historical accurate. No, I'm just saying that's what they <laughs> played up the whole first movie based on that. Um, I believe I think there is there's plenty of behind John Wilkes Booth as well. Oh, but yeah. he was the only one who fired a shot. Well, sure, yeah, which was my joke yeah. or comment. Like there's he's there's no one else that shot Lincoln. Oh, did I step on your joke? I'm no, sorry. no, you just had too many questions, Dave. You were too inquisitive no. about what I said. <laughs> I get like that. I don't believe that Jesus ever existed. Whoa. Is that a conspiracy? Oh, dropping bombs over here. It's my personal opinion. I don't think atheism is a a, a, a conspiracy theory. That I'm just saying, a lot of the Western faith. world is built on this story of Christianity. I don't. I believe it was all made up. I don't believe that that was an actual historical person. I believe it was a composite of. That's interesting. Whatever is that a story. conspiracy theory? I don't know. I think they I think might. Christianity they might is a conspiracy. So. Yeah. Well, they might say you're a conspiracy. Oh. Mm. Interesting. I don't believe there's any historical record to justify that person existing. Because some people will say that yes, there was a person that named Jesus that existed, but he might not have just been the savior or yeah. whatever. I don't believe that's true. Okay. That's my personal conspiracy. Theory. All right, Ian, you got to top all that. So I believe this that... is where Ian comes out as a, he's a flat earther. <laughs> yeah, it's like fuck you guys. I inf- infiltrated your organization here. I'm a flat earther, busted. <laughs> I think the U.S. government, probably and probably more world governments, know about UFOs and like aliens and stuff. But I don't think that I don't think like stuff. Some of those things like Roswell, where they say that alien, like an alive alien was recovered and they took it to Wright Patterson and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I do think that there have been some crashes. I think there's more than enough evidence that they are aware of something. They're just not going to admit to something that they don't understand themselves. I don't think we know anything about it. Like I don't think the government has the slightest clue as to mm. what UFOs actually are or anything like that. How could, how could, uh, an alien or a, a, a species or a being, though, even like being a weather balloon, alien or Ian. <laughs> I, they, yeah, it's. I mean, how, you don't fit in a weather balloon. That's just not going to happen. It's, a, it's an age old question. <laughs> so you think they're aware that this took place, but the fact that if they released it and they couldn't fully explain it, you think it would make them look weak. So they choose to hide it from the general public. Yeah. Well, I, I actually, and maybe this changes what my wildness is. I, I agree with Ian. I think the government knows a ton more about UFOs and aliens and, uh, you know, extraterrestrials and life outside of our planet than they let us know because they don't want to induce panic. They, they want to study it more. I 100% believe that. I, I think it's possible, but I go back to the same theory, like when people do the 9-11 theories and all that. It's too big of a thing where one person wouldn't eventually be able to provide some concrete proof. Like you, it's hard to cover up something. Maybe that so on that big of but a scale. But I don't scale know if a ton of so people, people know about you it. You don't though. think so? I, I don't. know. I mean, I'm sure enough people know that you could make the argument for that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the 9/11 ones, I think, just ridiculous. Also, but I find it hard to believe you can do something on that large of a scale without someone eventually. But then maybe some of this stuff is, you know. There was that one caller on Art Bell who said he worked at what Area Fifty One. Yeah. That guy you know, was never heard from again. He was we very laugh, right. We <laughs> laugh at those people, but then maybe that's the people that are that are talking. Maybe it is. Was that on the first well, Art Bell? Yeah, in the archives. Go back. That was a good one. I, I feel like there's a more than enough, especially recently in the, I think the past three years. I'd say credible people coming out and 
saying that yeah we know what it is but we don't or we know that it's there but we don't know what it I, is like harry yeah. like harry reed's really involved in it yeah um you know all those navy guys with the videos that tom DeLong released i, I think agree that, I, I think that's my my biggest thing that i like really truly believe is that they just they don't know what it is, so mm-hmm. they're not going to put like a stamp on it. Well, I'm looking forward to that new movie Phenomenon coming out here in a couple. I think it comes out in October. Dude. Is it a documentary or an yeah, actual movie? Yeah, a documentary to explore a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff over like the past 70-year history of Aliens. So it looks really interesting. Yeah, they have Harry Reid's on there. They have some astronauts on there. Yeah, like important people, like the Undersecretary of... Homeland Security, like somebody big up. Was it Secretary of State, Homeland Security? I, I've not even heard yeah, of something. this. Hey, watch the trailer. Know. It's pretty cool. When's it come out? I think in October, I want to say. I think it okay. got delayed because of COVID, like everything sure, else. Yeah. But, so I think they're doing, you know, VOD release. Yeah. I, I think I agree with Ian. I think there is a lot that's covered up there that we don't know about. I don't disagree with that. So maybe that's the wild. That's more, that's crazier than Kennedy, right, Dave? I would say that's probably bigger than the Kennedy one. Mm, I don't know. If the government was involved in assassinating a U.S. president, that's pretty bad. Well, I didn't say the government was involved. I just said there's somebody else involved. Yeah. Um, P- potentially. But what I guess what I meant, because my question was the wildest. I'm willing wildest. to bet there's yeah. more people that believe in the Kennedy assassination that believe in the Ian alien theory of, you know, the government knows more. I agree with that. That's a, that's a wilder I would, story, sure. I would almost say probably, I mean, if you polled people who knew about the Kennedy assassination— would you say the majority of people think that there's more to it than what we know? It's probably half and half. That would accept the findings of the Warren Commission. You think I, it's half and half? Probably. People who knew the story. I would almost I say. It, I would almost say more people don't believe it or I believe that there's more to it. I bet forty percent of people in this country don't even know who JFK is. That's why point. I said people so I who know the story. We're approaching idiocracy. Land Us educated folk who made it past seventh grade, who know who JFK <laughs> is, and who know the assassination. Anyways, we're not going to do a JFK story, so don't get your hopes up, folks. It's not going to happen. Yeah, aliens would be it for me. I generally don't believe in conspiracy theories, like the whole 9-11 thing or any of that. I generally do not buy into any of that kind of stuff. Okay. You know what wasn't a conspiracy theory? The life of Andre Chikatilo. <laughs> chicka 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 tillo. <laughs> oh boy so we're having our fun now because we're about to get real dark real quick this is a it's quite a story yeah i had never heard of this guy naturally naturally never heard of you know fucking jeffrey Dahmer either till we oh, did him that's true that's not true i've heard of him <laughs> that was as far as that went but um this is uh this is a wild story and it's it's like a little it's pieces of every other serial killer we've ever covered, kind of mixed into to this one. Yeah, I wonder how many people that know that listen to our show actually know him too, because he was, you know, he's not American. I he's bet a, a lot of them. You think so? Yeah, you think they know him. He, they all know more than hitter. you, buddy. Yeah, he's yeah, a but big story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but do, do but are there a lot of crime shows that like cover guys like this? Like in like, you know, if you're watching fucking Discovery Channel or something, like are they doing? Andre Chikatilo shows. Mm. That's what I mean. Like he's not mainstream serial killer and his story is fucking wild. The hardcore true crime fans. I'm sure 4% of the people that listen to this show. (laughs) I'm sure everybody that listens to this show knows who Andre Chikatilo. I'm just trying to make you feel better, pal. Everyone knows who this guy is. I would like to take a poll. I have legitimately (laughs) never heard of this human being until we discussed him today. Yeah, we know we get it. 
You didn't know that Jeffrey Dahmer was murdered nope. in, in jail no. until you read the album. But I, but I guarantee you the average everyday person doesn't fucking know that. Well, it's just you. True Jeffrey crime. Dahmer's not alive. Yeah, it's just you. True crime fucks that know that. Like the average person doesn't give a shit. I'm not know. even a true crime person. I know a little a bit stuff. you are. A little bit. A little but. bit. The average person does not even know who Jeffrey Dahmer is other than just his name. No. I would I would die on that cross. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I would die on that You'll cross. Die on it. Yeah. Pick another. I don't cross think people back. aren't walking around just knowing all these serial killers like you guys do. Mm, not sure. That's true. They might know who they are. They don't know what the fuck they did. Which goes more so for this fucking you know Ukrainian guy who no one's ever heard of <laughs> till now. Okay, we are literally <laughs> the first people to ever cover him. <laughs> Andre Chikatilo was born October 16th, 1936, in a small village in the Ukrainian SSR. At the time of his birth, Ukraine was in the middle of a famine caused by Joseph Stalin's forced collectivization of agriculture. Chikatilo's parents were both collective farm laborers who lived in a one-room hut. They received no wages for their work, but instead received the right to cultivate a plot of land behind the family hut. The family rarely had enough food. Chikatilo himself later claimed to not have eaten bread until the age of 12, adding that he and his family often had to eat grass and leaves in an effort not to starve. Doesn't sound great. No. So, and I'm going to say something here. In this country, you know, people who have never read a book believe that, you know, giving people, everyone in the country, health care is communism. But this, you know, this forced collectivization of farms is an actual example of you know, like one of the great perils of, of communism and, and what can result from it. Actual real communism. This has been Dave's TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> A lesson from Dave. The more you know. Like that Ukrainian famine was horrific. So 12 just, years old, he had bread. Finally. Just to just to get a sense of where he's coming from and where he was born and stuff. But imagine having to go out to your yard. You grab grass and leaves, bring them into the house to like boil them up and cook them, and that's what you're yeah, eating for dinner. It's awful. It was a couple years. I think it was like thirty two, thirty three. So it was just on the other side of the famine at this point. But yeah, that's a real thing of you know communism, not making sure people have health care like you'll hear in this country. Boom. Throughout his childhood, Chikatilo was reportedly told by his mother, Anna, that prior to his birth, an older brother of his named Stefan had, at age four, been kidnapped and cannibalized by starving neighbors. Although, his, although it has never been proved as to whether this incident actually occurred or if Stefan Chikatilo even existed. I like Jesus. <laughs> Regardless, Chikatilo recalled his childhood as being plagued by poverty, ridicule, hunger, and war. Look, young man, the neighbors ate your brother, and if you don't behave yourself, we're going to send you over there, to... too. <laughs> John Wayne here. <laughs> do, do you guys remember? I mean, I'm going. I'm dipping into a Patreon uh, bonus episode here, but the, the listener who grew up in the Ukraine that, that called and told us about the cannibal story over there where mm-hmm. somebody was cooking humans and feeding it to him, and he had eaten some human meat? Yeah, that yeah. was one of our uh, Patreon call-in shows. God damn. So, so I what, wonder is was that was that actually a thing back during this famine? Well, I think almost kind of like what we talked about last week at the Donner Party, right? When you're starving and it's you know you're trying just to survive or feed your family, you do anything it takes. Oh, I think there was right. lots of cannibalism yeah. going on during the Ukrainian famine. Lots of reports of that. Okay, I don't know much about the 
this whole the like the Ukrainian famine and yeah. stuff. As Kevin says in the office, it's only human natural. <laughs> <laughs> when the Soviet Union entered the Second World War, Chikatilo's father, Roman, was sent into the Red Army. He would later be taken prisoner after being wounded in combat. Between 1941 and 1944, Chikatilo witnessed some of the effects of the Nazi occupation of Ukraine, which he described as, quote, horrors, adding he witnessed bombings, fires, and shootings from which he and his mother would hide in cellars and ditches. On one occasion, Chikatilo and his mother were forced to watch their own hut burn to the ground. With his father at war, Chikatilo and his mother shared a single bed. He was a chronic bedwetter, and his mother berated and beat him each time he did it. Oh, that's probably healthy. Yeah. Well, he's pe- peeing on her back. I'm sure she's not happy, but still. <laughs> I gotta beat the kid. Jesus. It's like our pal Gary Ridgway did that until he was 13, and his that's mom right. used to beat yeah. his ass and make him wash, and she would wash him down until he was 13 and scream at him and beat his ass for doing that. That shit will fuck you up as a young man permanently. Wasn't that also one of the theories with John Bonet too? She was a bedwetter, and so that mom got upset and like beat her head against like the the, the sink in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck her. <laughs> Fuck who? <laughs> the mom. Even though oh. she's not. Even though she didn't do it. <laughs> I thought you didn't like bedwetters there for a second. No. No. When you wet the bed, it happens. Like, come on, you gotta have patience with that shit. I still wet the bed when I have a couple cocktails. I don't really drink though, so. <laughs> I've wet the floor before after I've had some cocktails. I've actually never not wet the bed in my adult life. That was one thing I have not done. I've puked the bed. I have not wet the bed. I did that one time. I pissed myself and while I was sleeping when I got super drunk. God damn, pal. What's um not our best moments. No, not King Cobra. What's the other forty that's Magnum? Real? No. What's your thing? Steel Reserve? No, I yeah, used to King, King Cobra. Reserve. <laughs> I didn't drink Steel Reserve. That shit was nasty. King Cobra was, you know, for kings. Mm-hmm. With Cobras in their pants like me. <laughs> there was one time in high school I drank a shit ton of uh, Steel Reserves. And yeah, I pissed myself. Oh, <laughs> I was blackout drunk off Whoa. that shit. Steel Reserve, I could not even drink. I thought that was the most disgusting of like those malt liquors. Gross. King Cobra, I used to not Ugh. hate. I was living a life back in high school, man. Steel Reserve and Beast Ice. <laughs> well, who am I to judge? I fucking did power hours with King Cobra, so. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, Dave's drinking wild Irish rose and smoking doobies outside. <laughs> doobies. Doobies. <laughs> doobies. <laughs> in 1943, Chikatilo's mother gave birth to a baby girl, Tatiana. Because Chikatilo's father had been in military service in 1941, he could not have fathered the child. As many Ukrainian women were raped by German soldiers during the war, it has been speculated Tatiana was conceived as the result of rape committed by a German soldier. As Chikatilo and his mother lived in a one-room hut, this rape may have been witnessed by Chikatilo. All right, guys. Guy's gone through a lot already. He really has. Hmm. In September 1944, Chikatilo began his schooling. Although shy and very studious as a child, he was physically weak and regularly attended school in homespun clothing. And by 1946, with his stomach swollen from hunger resulting from post-war famine. On several occasions, this hunger caused Chikatilo to faint both at home and at school. 
and he was consistently targeted by bullies who regularly mocked him over his physical looks and timid nature. At home, Chikatilo and his sister were constantly berated by their mother. Tatiana later recalled that in spite of the hardships endured by her parents, their father was a kind man, whereas their mother was harsh and unforgiving towards the children. You're really bad for this guy at this point. So far, yeah, right? This is tough. I feel like every serial killer story, it's like you, you feel bad a until lot of them. Yeah. It, it takes a massive turn. Well, yeah. And also, I have a pic of myself in a delightful homespun uh, denim suit that my mom made for me when I was a young man. We'll, we'll be posting that <laughs> as soon as Dave will get that fucking balling in that suit. <laughs> we'll need that photo ASAP. <laughs> Chikatilo developed a passion for reading and memorizing data and often studied at home both to increase his sense of self-worth and to compensate for his very poor eyesight, which often prevented him from reading the classroom blackboard. To his teachers, Chikatilo was an excellent student whom they regularly praised. By his teens, Chikatilo was both a model student and an ardent communist. He was appointed editor of his school newspaper at age 14 and chairman of the Pupils' Communist Party Committee two years later. An avid reader of communist literature, he was also delegated the task of organizing street marches. Although Chikatilo claimed learning did not come easy to him due to headaches and poor memory, he was the only student from his collective farm to complete the final year of study, graduating with excellent grades in 1954. All right, so that's an accomplishment. What, uh, what about these headaches? What, what was there to make of that? Anything or... Actually, I was reading a little bit about him. They said he was born with uh, that water on the brain thing, which may have had an mm. effect on him. Mm. I didn't know if it was that or like something due to like starvation or, you know, just... It can't help, right? Sure it doesn't. You're supposed to fatten your fucking brain up as a little person. This guy didn't have bread till he was 12. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not great for your growing young man and his brain. Yeah, I just didn't know if there was something else to that headache thing, if there was like, mm. abuse yeah. or some kind of, you know, health issue. On the onset of puberty, Chikatilo discovered that he suffered from chronic impotence, worsening his social awkwardness and self-hatred. He was shy in the company of women. His first crush at age 17 had been on a girl named Lilia Barasheva, with whom he had become acquainted through the school newspaper. Yet he was extremely nervous around her and never asked her out for a date. That same year, Chikatilo jumped on an 11-year-old friend of his younger sister and wrestled her to the ground, ejaculating in his pants as the girl struggled against him. Oh, boy. Here we go. So first red flag there. Yeah. Just like our friend Peter Curtin with the uh, involuntary orgasm. Yeah. That guy, all he needed to see was a drop of blood, and he yeah. would start. He was like, <clears throat> <laughs> He was done for. <laughs> and also this poor guy with the chronic impotence. I mean, usually it's chronic boners at that age. I fuck your day up, man. <laughs> Holy shit. That's true. Yeah, usually you can't get rid of the damn thing. I really feel sorry for this guy so far. Well, for now. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Following his graduation, Chikatilo applied for a scholarship at Moscow State University. Although he passed the entrance exam with good to excellent scores, his grades were not deemed good enough for acceptance. Chikatilo thought his scholarship application was rejected due to his father's tainted war record. Uh, his dad, his father had been branded a traitor for being taken prisoner in 1943. But the truth of it was that the other students had performed better than him in the exam. Well, 
That'll make sense. He did not attempt to enroll at another university. Instead, he traveled to the city of Kursk, where he worked as a laborer for three months before, in 1955, enrolling at a vocational school with the aim of becoming a communications technician. The same year, Chikatilo formed his first serious relationship with a local girl two years younger than him. On three separate occasions, the couple attempted to have sex, although on each occasion, Chikatilo was unable to keep an erection. After 18 months, she broke off the relationship. Oh, man. Flaccid fucking, though. It just doesn't work. <laughs> just can't. It doesn't work. It can't happen. Yeah. And pre, uh, pre-Viagra, Blue Chew era. Of course. Well, so. back, you know, communist days, they would have been cutting those up and each get like, you know, an eighth of a pill or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> 200 bucks a piece. He was poor. They were at the bottom of the list. He ain't getting any of those. It's sad. Upon completion of his two-year vocational training, Chikatel relocated to the Ural city of Nizhny Tagil to work on a long-term construction project. While living there, he also undertook correspondence courses in engineering with the Moscow Electrotechnical Institute of Communication. He worked in the Urals for two years until he was drafted into the Soviet Army in 1957. Well, good for him. At least he's trying to butter himself. I would be sitting in my room looking at my broken penis 24 hours a day, feeling sorry for myself. What can you do? You just look at it. It's something you can't do anything with it. <laughs> Smack it around. Let it dangle there. About it. I, I think I would kill my motivation to do anything, right? Dead dick syndrome. Happens to the worst of us. Would you say dead dick syndrome? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> DDS. DDS. Chikatilo performed his military service between 1957 and 1960, assigned first to serve with border guards in Central Asia, then to a KGB communications unit in Berlin. Here, his work, was, his work record was perfect, and he joined the Communist Party in 1960, shortly before his military service ended. I'll tell you what, 1960 in Berlin, that was probably interesting. Fun times. Lots going on over there. Upon completing his service, Chikatilo returned to his native village to live with his parents. He soon became acquainted with a young divorcee. Their three-month relationship ended after several unsuccessful attempts at having sex, after which the woman innocently asked her friends for advice as to how Chikatilo might overcome his inability to get an erection. That was a result. Smart. No, no. Ladies, don't do Damn. that. You just hush-hush on that. <laughs> Yeah, because word spread about this, and as a result, most of his peers discovered that he couldn't couldn't keep it up. In a 1993 interview regarding this incident, Chikatilo stated, quote, The girls were going behind my back, whispering that I was impotent. I was so ashamed, I tried to hang myself. My mother and some young neighbors pulled me out of the noose. Well, I thought no one would want such a shamed man, so I had to run away from there, away from my homeland. Oh, that's so sad. A DDS will get you. Of course, the woman had to go on tweeting and Facebooking and YouTubing about it. I'm in all kinds of trouble. Just a you know, quick little uh, mention here. If your guy's got limp dick syndrome, you don't need to go talking about it to other people. You know, maybe w- with him, consult your doctor. Don't tell your friends. That's solid advice. Of course it is. And the guy should have his attorney present <laughs> if you're going to be talking about his limp dick. <laughs> Well, grounds a divorce your ass if you say something out of line <laughs> about his dangle. After several months, Chikatilo found a job as a communications engineer 
in a town located north of Rostov-on-Don. He relocated to the Russian SFSR in 1961, renting a small apartment close to his workspace. That same year, his younger sister Tatiana finished her schooling and moved into his apartment. His parents would relocate to the Rostov region shortly thereafter. Tatiana lived with her brother for six months before marrying a local man and moving into her in-laws' home. She noted nothing odd with regard to her brother's lifestyle beyond his extreme shyness around women and tried to help him find a wife and start a family. In 1963, Chikatel married a woman named Fyodosia Odnocheva, to whom he had been introduced by his younger sister. According to Chikatilo, although he was attracted to her, his marriage was effectively an arranged one, which occurred barely two weeks after they had met, in which the decisive roles were played by his sister and her husband. Look, my brother's a great catch. He can't get a boner, but he's a good provider. What do you think? <laughs> Doesn't sound ideal for either of them. Mm. Arranged marriages rarely work, Dave. I've done research on this. Have you? Yeah, I don't think they're. I don't <laughs> think they're good for people. You know, just to be paired, partnered up with someone and say you you must marry them. Kind of interesting, I guess. Isn't that? Isn't there a show like a thirty day fiance or ninety day fiance show on TV? Right. I've never seen it. I, I just know, know like is. the premise of it and sounds horrible. Yeah. I feel like I've seen commercials for a show called like Married at First Sight or something. Where Maybe they that's just it. Fucking yeah. pair two people up and they get married right away. And it yeah, because that goes off that of rails. course ends always happy. <laughs> yeah. Like if they go to a Vegas chapel the first day they meet, that kind of thing. Yeah, like yeah, they if throw, it's the first it's like day you're meeting, thing. sure. Yeah, that's not that's not to say Vegas chapels aren't great. No, no. But if it's the first day you're meeting, yeah, it's not great. Right. Let the booze wear off first, because <laughs> one of those two is going to regret it in the morning. Maybe not. Maybe you do that eight ball and you go get married and maybe you live happily ever after. There you go. Maybe so. Who are we to say? Maybe so. Love is love. Love is love, Mike. You're and right. And as long as you have Jesus, <laughs> you can't go wrong. Right, Dave? Well, I don't think that's true. <laughs> Chickatello later claimed that his marital sex life was minimal and that after his wife understood he was unable to keep an erection, they agreed she would conceive by him ejaculating into his hand and pushing semen inside her vagina with his fingers. In 1965, his wife gave birth to a daughter, Ludmila. Four years later, in 1969, they had a son named Yuri. I like that name, Ludmila. Are we just going to ignore yeah. the part where like, he gets her pregnant with his fingers? <laughs> like, we're not gonna, we're isn't, not gonna, isn't that how everyone does it? We're not, I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. You know what? what? You mean? That's fine. Let's just move on. We'll move on. I don't know. It doesn't seem out of the ordinary to me. Okay. Sounds like a sexy date. <laughs> I would love to push my semen into your machine. Like, that's just... Okay. <laughs> You're not attractive. I'm going to jerk off into my hand and then force this into you. Mm, that's Oof. sexy. She's like, ooh, baby, can't wait. I didn't realize that was possible like that. I actually didn't either, but... I mean, I guess it makes sense. Why not? I guess. Got to get right? it up in there far enough, right? Yeah. So for it to like, you know, get sucked in or whatever happens in there. Mm. No one knows. I feel like there's like a UFO. It like <laughs> sucks it up and then it spreads it around in the eggs and that's it, right? No this, one knows. This has been Biology by Mike. Join us next time. <laughs> From Dumb and Dumber, tractor beam. <laughs> <laughs> sucked me right in. <laughs> 
Chikatilo chose to enroll as a correspondence student at Rostov University in 1964, studying Russian literature and philosophy. He obtained his degree in these subjects in 1970. Shortly before obtaining his degree, Chikatilo obtained a job managing regional sports activities. He remained in this position for one year before beginning his career as a teacher of Russian language and literature. Chikatilo was largely ineffective as a teacher. Although knowledgeable in the subjects he taught, he was unable to maintain discipline in his classes and was regularly subjected to mockery by his students who he claimed took advantage of his modest nature. He's one of those teachers, as soon as he turns around to write on the blackboard, people are throwing shit at him. Yeah. Spitballs <laughs> and busting tomatoes on the blackboard. This poor guy hasn't caught a break his entire life no, to this point. not at all. He's about to make his own breaks. He's got a jizz in his hand, impregnate his wife. That is still the wildest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like, he's balancing it in his palm. He's like, wait, open, open up, open up. He's got to, like, get it on the tip of his fingers and shove it in. Like, come, what does that even look like? Like... Why not use a turkey baster? Am I right? But why? Yeah, I, why not? Why not? Come into that and then boom. See? Then you can even get it right up in there and then let the, the UFOs in there take it away. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know what goes on down there. It's like oh. a fucking different solar system. Biology by Mike. Yeah. Available on <laughs> <laughs> Spinoff show. Eight episodes. Biology by Mike. We'll explore every bit of science. <laughs> the vagina's connected to the cervix. The cervix connected to the... I have thoughts on the cervix as well, Dave. <laughs> F- talking about a fucking government. Thoughts. Talking about a government conspiracy. <laughs> you take that in your labia, and I'll fucking show you the fifth shooter in the Kennedy assassination. Oh <laughs> in May 1973, Chikatilo committed his first known sexual assault on one of his students. In this incident, he swam towards a 15-year-old girl and groped her breast and genitals, ejaculating as the girl struggled against him. What a creep. Creep. Marco. (laughs) Polo. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Months later, Chikatilo sexually assaulted another teenage girl whom he had locked in his classroom. He was not disciplined for either of these, these incidents, nor for the occasions in which fellow teachers observed Chikatilo fondling himself in the presence of students. What? The how does nobody speak up? Like, okay, so here's how this works from what I was reading. Under like the, the communist kind of rules, if one person gets in trouble, the whole school gets in trouble. Yeah, okay. So if they reported that, then everybody in the school, every employee of the school gets punished. So he went... Un, nobody turned him in for any of this shit. Yeah, so it's like, okay. no, we're not all getting in trouble for this. And they kind of bounced him around to other schools, almost like a Catholic priest thing, how they bounce the pre- the priests around Whoa, the different... Oh, careful there, Pally. Oh, I know all about they that. that. They, bounce, they bounced kidding. them all to my school. I know all about that. <laughs> Every one of them. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. So, But that's what they did here, and that was it was because of... The communist rules yeah, of like the sense. whole the whole establishment would get in trouble. Interesting. Kind of wow. gets people to self-regulate themselves and enforce stuff internally. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, but, yeah. And how do you even go about doing that? Like, what are you gonna do? If you're all the other teachers, you're just gonna beat you this beat guy. His ass, like, right? right? But well, that's yeah. what that leads to. Sure. Yeah. That leads to a healthy, you know, environment and community. Yeah. But with him, they just did like what. They do with Catholic priests, and they just send him to different schools. Yeah, see ya. <laughs> see ya. He'll do better over there. 
But that's only because, like, you know, management was made aware of it. They wanted them to just beat his ass and make it, you know, handle it themselves. Oh, now you made this our problem. We'll have to send him away. One of Chikatilo's duties at the school was ensuring his students who boarded at the school were present in their dormitories in the evenings. On several occasions, he is known to have entered the girls' dormitory in hopes of seeing them undressed. What a creep, man. He's out of control at this point already. In response to the increasing number of complaints against him by his students, the director of the school called Chikatilo to a formal meeting and informed him he should resign voluntarily or be fired. Chikatilo left his employment discreetly and found another job as a teacher at another school in the same area in January of 1974. He lost this job as the result of staff cutbacks in September of 1978 before finding another teaching position in a coal mining town close to Rostov-on-Don. Well done with that name, Ian. Good job. Chikatilo's career as a teacher ended in March of 1981 following several complaints of child molestation against pupils of both sexes. Oh, it only took seven years. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. The same month, he began a job as a supply clerk for a factory based in Rostov, which produced construction materials. This job required Chikatilo to travel extensively across much of the Soviet Union to either physically purchase the raw materials required to fulfill production quotas or to negotiate supply contracts. In September of 1978, Chikatilo moved to Shakti, where he committed his first documented murder. On December 22nd, Chikatilo lured a nine-year-old girl named Yelena Zaknova to an old house which he had secretly purchased. He attempted to rape her but failed to get an erection. When the girl struggled, he choked her and stabbed her three times in the abdomen, ejaculating while stabbing the child. In an interview after his 1990 arrest, Chikatilo later recalled that immediately after stabbing her, the girl had, quote, said something very hoarsely. Then he strangled her into unconsciousness before throwing her body into a nearby river, and her body was found two days later. It's just like Peter Curtin, man. It's very similar. Yeah. That's so bizarre. Also, how do you secretly purchase a house? It's like Ricky's party house on uh, on Ballers. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> mm. yeah, I guess. I mean, you can probably do that. I mean, I'd probably secret from like his family, right? Like, I guess that's what it meant. Yeah. yeah. He'd probably it off. Right? I want a secret party house. <laughs> do you? Yeah. I mean, I'll just go by myself and just read. Look at- Look at pictures of Casey Anthony and drink beer and (laughs) eat blue chew like it's fucking Skittles. (laughs) I mean, what what do you do in your party house? I actually have Casey Anthony come to the house, come to the party house. We're not all as famous and rich as you, Dave. (laughs) Numerous pieces of evidence linked Chikatilo to the girl's murder. Spots of blood had been found in the snow near the house that Chikatilo had purchased. Neighbors had noted that Chikatilo had been present in the house on the evening of December 22nd. The girl's school backpack had been found on the opposite bank of the river at the end of the street, indicating the girl had been thrown into the river at this location. And a witness had given police a detailed description of a man closely resembling Chikatilo, who he had seen walking with the girl at the bus stop where she had last been seen alive. So they picked him up and uh, convicted him, and that was the end of the story, and he never hurt anyone again, right? We'll see you guys next week. Great story. <laughs> this is police work uh, actually working. We should do one time. We should do an episode where like the guy just gets caught real quick, and like the sh- the story is like twenty minutes. 
And that's it. And then we'll <laughs> bullshit for like another hour just to give people a full show. But then that'll just be it. That's funny. We should do that. Well, despite all of these facts, a 25-year-old laborer named Alexander Krivchenko, who had previously served a prison sentence for the rape and murder of a teenage girl, was arrested for the crime. A search of Krivchenko's home revealed spots of blood on his wife's jacket. The blood type was determined to match both the girl and Krivchenko's wife. Okay, first off, how is a 25-year-old free after previously serving prison sentence for the rape and murder of a teenage girl? Yeah, I don't know what's going on over there. What the fuck there. is that? It's no holds barred. No holds barred. It is who you know during that time. I mean, uh, uh, Chikatilo was a member of the party, so he obviously got preferential treatment, and they looked to this guy instead and looked right past him. That's going to be a theme with a lot of the investigation with all of Chikatilo's murders yeah. is that, yeah, he was a part of the Communist Party, yeah. and he had... No criminal record, really. You know, like he was never turned in for any of those sexual yep. assaults on on minors. And the investigation by the police was they just looked at people that had previous records. Yeah, right. He can hide in plain sight. The Communist Party thing really helped him a lot. Oh, without a doubt. Well, and evidentiary standards in the Soviet Union being what they were, you know, something tells me this uh, Alexander fellow is not exactly going to get a fair trial. <laughs> I'm 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 guessing. <laughs> Kravchenko had a good alibi for the afternoon of December 22nd, 1978. He had been at home with his wife and a friend of hers the entire afternoon, and the neighbors of the couple were able to verify this. Nonetheless, the police, having threatened Kravchenko's wife with being an accomplice to murder and her friend with perjury, obtained news statements in which the women claimed Kravchenko had not returned home until late in the evening on the day of the murder. Damn. If he was in this country, the wife couldn't be forced to testify against him, right? Is that how that works? I think so. Isn't that a, isn't that a real thing? You can't be forced to testify against your spouse? Or am I imagining that? I don't know. I, I don't know. We're going to get our attorney on the phone here at yeah. uh, halftime. <laughs> Hello, this is Necronom Pot Attorney. Uh, that is true. Okay, bye. I thought Look. so. Dave, you were right. Yeah, thanks. What's he going to bill us for that call? Well, it'd be at least $300, but, <laughs> you know, the patrons take care of that. Confronted with these altered testimonies, Kroshenko confessed to the killing, and he was tried for the murder in 1979. At his trial, Kroshenko retracted his confession and maintained his innocence, stating his confession had been obtained under extreme duress. Despite his retraction, Kravchenko was convicted of the murder and sentenced to death. This death sentence was commuted to 15 years in prison, which was the maximum possible length of imprisonment at the time, by the Supreme Court in December of 1980. Under pressure from the victim's relatives, Kravchenko was retried, erroneously convicted, and eventually executed by firing squad for the girl's murder in July of 1983. Mm. Jesus Christ. So the Supreme Court was like, uh, you didn't get this right. Do it again. That's the interesting thing I was reading about, like the Russian court systems. I don't know if it's still like this, but at least back then, if a family or the community didn't like a verdict, they could push for it to be seen again mm. and like have the that decision overruled to to a death sentence like the, mm. in, like in this case. It's probably not OK. It's a whole different world. Yeah, I don't think I, I think that sounds not good. Mm. It, yeah, like like this guy, like if, like this guy got prison, you know, prison time. They're like, no, 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 we want him dead. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so like, okay, let's do it again. Him. Well, yeah. oh, redo, redo. 
So philosophically speaking, we could consider this Andre's second killing because he's directly responsible for this guy being executed. Ooh, damn. That's deep, Dave. Right? That's too deep. We're too fucking <laughs> drunk for that shit. <laughs> Following Yelna's murder, Chikatel was able to achieve sexual arousal and orgasm only through stabbing women and children to death. He later claimed that the urge to relive the experience had overwhelmed him. Chikatilo did stress initially he had struggled to resist these urges, often cutting short business trips to return home rather than give in to the temptation to search for another victim. Well, A for effort, I guess. He was giving He's it a shot. He's learning. He's trying, at least. Mm. I have a feeling he fails this test. He might. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how that show goes? Whatever that NCIS fucking goes. CSI Miami. We won't be fooled again. <laughs> he takes his glasses off. I have a feeling he will fail this test. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> those are so fun. There's a super cut of those on, on YouTube. You can watch just like a hundred of them in a row. So funny. I, I will say, you know, clinically speaking, it must be hard like if the thing that does it for you is something like this, you know? Uh, yeah. Like if you're a pedo or, or you can only get off by stabbing someone like, like how, how do you, how do you move forward in life with that? You know, fighting that urge. That's a great question. I <laughs> like, it just, con- it has to just consume you day in and day out. It's not like you you're can- thinking about it constantly. You're obsessed with it. Yeah. Right. You can't. And there's those claims of rehabilitating people with those type of, uh, I don't know, like sexual deviant, you know, stuff. Yeah. But I don't know if I don't think that that would. I mean, I, I'm I'm obviously not a know. deviant. Uh, no, well, that <laughs> I'm not a deviant. <laughs> yeah, I'm also not a doctor, but in yeah. my mind, I don't I don't see how that would be possible to completely rehabilitate someone from a fetish like that. Right. Like if your thing is, you know, you like feet, you can always just go to Pornhub and look at feet videos. Right. right? So, if your thing sure. is, you have to kill someone to get off. You're essentially stuck without following through on that. I don't know. I don't know where that leaves you. Yeah, because with this girl, this first, his first victim, that's when it really clicked with him that, oh, yeah, blood. There's got to be more science out there, though, than, you know, than we're aware of. Like, there's got to be some kind of science that says, yeah, here we can we can rehabilitate them. And here's how. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I think some people are just broken. And well, I think some people sure are. Some people are just criminals, and some people can be rehabilitated. We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, 
including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Necro. Today's episode of Necronomapod is brought to you by Beardology. There are a lot of imitators out there, but there's only one place I buy my beard oil. Beardology Beard Oil nourishes your skin and won't leave you with that greasy feel. With over 17 cents available in their extensive product line, I trust my beard to Beardology. You can find Beardology at beardology.co. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your purchase. Beardology, discover the best way to avoid the shave. On September 11th, 1981, Chicatello came across 17-year-old boarding student Larissa Tichenko standing at a bus stop as he exited the public library in, Rost- in the Rostov city center. According to his confession, Chicatello lured Larissa to a forest area near Don River with the pretext of drinking vodka and, quote, relaxing. So in, in Russia at this time, relaxing meant having sex. Really? Yeah, that was a common thing where people were like, hey, you want to go... Go relax and it's like Netflix and chill, vodka yeah. and relax. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would like to relax as you eat my penis. <laughs> my penis tastes very good with the vodka. You'll never get this. You'll never get that. Oh, that's nice. I like your pipples. <laughs> when they reached a secluded area, he threw the girl to the ground before tearing off her clothes and attempting to rape her as Larissa fought back against him. When Chikatilo failed to get an erection, he forced mud inside her mouth to stop her screams before beating and strangling her to death. He had no knife, so Chikatilo mutilated the body with his teeth and a stick. He also tore one nipple from the girl's body with his teeth before loosely covering her body with leaves, branches, and torn pages of newspaper. Larissa's body was found the following day. This whole thing is because this guy can't get a fucking boner. He's just mad at the world. Yep. It's awful. And he also steps it up. Like, he goes from like zero to a hundred in brutality. Mm. Nine months after the murder of Larissa, on June 12, 1982, Chikatilo traveled by bus to the Bagagevsky district of Rostov to purchase vegetables. Having to change buses in the village of Donskoy, he decided to continue his trip on foot. Walking away from the bus station, he came across a 13-year-old girl named Lubav Biryuk who was walking home from a shopping trip. Once the path both were taking was shielded from the view of potential witnesses by bushes, Chikatilo jumped on the girl, dragged her into the nearby woods, tore off her dress, and killed her by stabbing and slashing her to death as he imitated raping her. 
Can I just say that having to travel by multiple buses to buy vegetables just is awful? Doesn't sound like a great place. No. I'd not want to live there. More perils of communism. When her body was found on June 27th, the medical examiner discovered the evidence of 22 knife wounds afflicted to the head, neck, chest, and pelvic region. Further wounds found on the skull suggested the killer had attacked the girl from behind with the handle of the blade of his knife. In addition, several cuts were also discovered on the girl's eye sockets. Mike, do you know what the pelvic region is? Just want to check before we move on. (laughs) It's like it's the place between the shoulder blades, right? Oh, right, right. You're good. And these wounds to the eye sockets, as we go through these, it's going to be a a, a big thing that links all these murders together. This is going to become a running theme with him. Fucking hate. What's the deal behind that? When they get into the investigation, um, there's like this old Russian, I don't know if it's like a wives tale or something like that. But when somebody dies, the last thing they see is burnt into their eyes forever for like eternity and like into Mm. the afterlife okay so the yeah investigators will start to piece this stuff together and think that maybe he's a uh, like a superstitious person that would believe into some of that old kind of stuff with you know trying to gouge out people's eyes after he kills them right makes sense i guess i would what i would say is that the last thing they'll see is him gouging out their eyes and they'll see that anyway so yeah, or does he want them works. to see that? Is that what? Yeah. Maybe he wants that to be the yeah. last image. Following Biryuk's murder, Chikatilo no longer attempted to resist his urges to kill. Between July and September 1982, he killed a further five victims between the ages of 9 and 18. He established a pattern of approaching children, runaways, and young women at buses or railway stations, enticing them to nearby forests or secluded areas and killing them, usually by stabbing, slashing and eviscerating the victim with a knife. Although some victims, in addition to receiving a multitude of knife wounds, were also strangled or beaten to death. So he had uh, lots of MOs here. Yep. Depending on the day of the week. Like we were just talking about the eyes, many of the victims' bodies had evidence of mutilation to the eye sockets. Pathologists concluded these injuries had been caused by a knife, leading investigators to the conclusion that the killer had gouged out the eyes of his victims. Chikatilo's adult female victims were often prostitutes or homeless women who he would lure to excluded areas with the promises of alcohol or money. He would typically attempt to have sex with these victims, but he would usually be unable to keep an erection, and this would send him into a rage, particularly if the woman mocked him. And like we were saying earlier with his MOs, he would only get an orgasm when he stabbed or slashed a victim to death. I think we should, uh, what if we could hypnotize Mike to have an orgasm like every time he loses a trivia on our bonus shows or something like that? Wouldn't that be something? That'd be awesome. Yeah. If only that fucking witchcraft was real. Start making the, the Peter Curtin noise as soon as he loses. <laughs> and then I just ejaculate in my pants. For future live shows, we got to figure something out. We got to get him hypnotized where there's a code word that make him blow a load in his pants. That'd be fantastic. I would, I would love that. I would take on that challenge. That would be fucking awesome. That would be great. That I should mean, be part of our live show. We should hire there a, is, oh, uh, I mean, a hypnotist. You, just, you say Casey Yeah, Anthony. hire a hypnotist to bring him along with us. Oh, my God. It'd be you fantastic. Casey Anthony, I'm going to blow a load in my pants. <laughs> Have you ever seen like a comedy hypnotist? show like at a comedy club no I don't it's a watch, lot of fun I don't watch that bullshit it's 
right. People do it, man. They're let's doing all kinds of dumb shit So let's bring them on, on the stage. show, and then we'll bring guests on stage, and then they can, you know, pretend to be hypnotized, I, and then we'll give I'm them a beer, and then go back to their seats. I've seen it. No, yeah. we're going to hypnotize you at every yeah, show. At every You're show. the guy, yeah. Well, I don't yeah. Well, all right, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> I mean, fine. But I, as long as the hypnotist is okay with it ending with me just kicking him in the dick and be like, this is fucking fake. <laughs> And then I muck fucking Mick Foley hell in a cell throw him off the stage. <laughs> if he's okay with that, then fine. Like, look, um, there's Shawn Michaels tights. <laughs> no. Well, but the, here's the thing. You don't have to have like a hypnotist for Ian and I have that conversation for one of us to get off. Like, we'll have a real conversation about that. People fucking love those conversations. And if they don't, fuck them. Fuck them. You know why? Because <laughs> fuck them. That's why. <laughs> Ian and I appreciate our Shawn Michaels tights. Oh, we know. That's well documented. <laughs> of his child and adolescent victims, they were both sexes, male and female. Chikatel would lure these victims to secluded areas using a, ver- a variety of ways, such as promising them assistance or company or offering to show them a shortcut, a chance to view rare stamps, films or coins, or with the offer of food or candy. He would usually overpower these victims once they were alone, often tying their hands behind their backs with rope before stuffing mud into the victim's mouth to silence their screams, and then proceed to kill them. After the killing, Chikatilo would make really lazy efforts to hide the body before leaving the crime scene. There's something about stuffing mud into someone's mouth to, to get them to stop screaming that really creeps me out. I would agree. That is uh, horrific. Just that suffocating feeling of, oh, yeah, that's awful. Yeah. I agree with you. And especially with this guy, we're talking about more kids than yeah. not. Yeah. You know. On December 11th, 1982, Chikatilo encountered a 10-year-old girl named Olga Stalmachenik riding a bus to her parents' home and persuaded the child to leave the bus with him. She was last seen by a passenger who reported that a middle-aged man led the girl away firmly by the hand. Chikatilo lured the girl to a cornfield on the outskirts of town, stabbed her over 50 times around the head and body, ripped open her chest, and took out her lower bowel and uterus. Oh, fuck's sake. Is this guy cannibal at all? So he would chew on things, but he wouldn't actually eat them. But he did do some, like he would chew on... Like, let's say the uterus in this situation. By January 1983, four victims killed had been linked to the same killer. A Moscow police team headed by Major Mikhail Fedosov was sent to Rostov-on-Don to direct the investigation, which gradually became known among investigators as Operation Forest Path. Fedostov established a team of 10 investigators based in Rostov, charged with solving all four cases. In March, Fedosov assigned a newly appointed special forensic analyst, Victor Burkhoff, to head the investigation. Have you seen the movie Citizen X about about this story? I have not. I know you told us that it was a good yeah. movie. Was HBO. HBO movie from the mid-90s. I might watch it before next week. I watched it this week again. Not it's pretty good. It's an entertaining movie. The Russian accents are really bad because they're all mostly British actors and like, and they can't the, act in, in Britain. Britain can't act. <laughs> like Donald Sutherland's in it, and he does a good one. But a couple of the British guys, like they just trail off into regular British accents. <laughs> I'm like, 
I, what happened to the Russian? It's <laughs> it's really bad. It's a good movie though. It kind of goes through the story pretty well, details the investigation stuff. I recommend it. I also know it's not called Britain. I was just making a joke, just so people know. <laughs> I think sometimes people confuse me with actual country Mike, so I just wanted to make sure there was a line there that I knew it was. What are you saying? I said they have their Britain <laughs> accents. Oh, their Britain accents. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Clearly, you don't listen to me when I speak. I said they have their Britain accents. Lost me for a second. Accents. And then I wanted to clarify that people knew I, d- I knew it wasn't actually Britain accents. I heard you, but then it didn't make sense in my head. I had to come back and clarify. Sorry. The following month... Olga's body was found. Burkhoff was summoned to the crime scene where he examined the numerous knife wounds and eviscerations conducted upon the child and the cuts to her eye sockets. Burkhoff later stated that as he noted the cuts on Olga's eye sockets, any doubts about the presence of a serial killer went away. Chikatilo did not kill again until June 1983 when he murdered a 15-year-old Armenian girl named Laura Sarkissian. Her body was found close to an unmarked railway platform near Shakti. By September, he had killed five more victims. The amount of bodies found and the similarities between the pattern of wounds inflicted on the victims forced the Soviet authorities to acknowledge that a serial killer was on the loose. On September 6, 1983, the public prosecutor of the USSR formally linked six of the murders attributed to the same killer. That was a big theme in the movie where the... You know, the they, the government was hesitant to declare this a serial killer because they said, you know, we don't have serial killers in a communist utopia that's the Soviet Union. So people weren't, you know, maybe aware as they should have been that, that somebody was out there hunting them. Yeah, and everything described him as like this kindly, older looking guy, you know. Yeah. So no one was afraid of him. Exactly. And what what was the the other the other thing I read, which I thought was interesting, is that children were taught you know, in the communist Soviet Union that to look like look up to other parents just like you would your own. So they had no problem going up to a, an adult stranger in public. So it, it was easier to use to uh, to gain the trust. So I think that was a big part of it, too. Yeah, that's an interesting angle. Yeah. On why they would, would just not go have along with out. it. It would not have worked out in this situation. What? To go up to this guy. Are you not hearing anything I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> It would not have worked out to go up to this guy in that oh, situation right, right, right. based on the whole theory you just spouted <laughs> off about that every adult is your fucking parent or you should respect them as such. He's, he's angry now. <laughs> I actually can't find where the hell we are in the notes. I lost us You're like, three, at me? You're like even three, page. three paragraphs ago. I can't find us. This fucking guy. <laughs> and then you just start talking so I can find us. But anyway, taught to trust, you know, adults in that way that would, you know. Make it easier to kidnap them. It would certainly make it much easier for this guy. Wait, what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Due to the brutality of the murders and the precision of the eviscerations on the victims' bodies, police theorized that the killings had been c- conducted by either a group harvesting organs to sell for transplant, the work of a satanic cult, or a mentally ill individual. Well, they were way off on that one, huh? Yeah, all but the the third one, I well, guess. Well, yeah, say, yeah. <laughs> true. But that's Much not the context the, that they were looking for a mentally ill person in, though. Right, they're thinking like someone that has been committed to yeah, a, right. 
an asylum or something. Mm-hmm. Much of the police effort concentrated on the theory that the killer must be mentally ill, homosexual, or a pedophile, and the alibis of all individuals who had either spent time in psychiatric wards or had been convicted of homosexuality or pedophilia were checked and logged in a card filing system. Registered sex offenders were also investigated, and if their alibi was corroborated, they were eliminated from the inquiry. Yeah, gay people did not have a great time in the Soviet Union during this no. period. Or, I guess, today, as a matter of fact, you know, still yeah, to this today. day. Yeah. Beginning in September 1983, several young men confessed to the murders, although these individuals were often intellectually disabled youths who admitted to the crimes only under prolonged and often brutal interrogation. Three known homosexuals and a convicted sex offender committed suicide as a result of the investigator's tactics. As a result of the investigation, more than 1,000 unrelated crimes, including 95 murders, 140 aggravated assaults, and 245 rapes were solved. Hmm. There you go. When they start to do their job. Yeah. Close out some cases. So it's like the opposite of what's the opposite of collateral damage because collateral good that took place, right? <laughs> right. As police obtained confessions from suspects, bodies continued to be discovered, proving that the people that were confessing to these crimes were not responsible for them. On October 30th, 1983, the eviscerated body of 19 year old prostitute named Vera Shevkin was found in Shakti. Shevkin had been killed on October 27th. Although the mutilations inflicted on her body were otherwise characteristic of those found on other victims linked to the unknown murderer, the victim's eyes had not been gouged or otherwise wounded. Two months later, on December 27th, a 14-year-old schoolboy named Sergei Markov was lured off a train and murdered at a rural bus station. Markov was stabbed over 70 times to his neck and upper torso before being eviscerated. 70 is a big number. That's a lot. It's a lot of rage. It's interesting with Chikatilo. He's like the definition of like a true sadist. Like there's no sexual preference, whether it be male, female, child, adult. It's just the the fact of doing it, a violent crime getting yeah. him off. That's a good point. I'm sure studying the psyche of all this is just quite quite interesting. It's got to be fascinating. Yeah, a little sadistic and terrifying at times. I'm mm. sure. In January and February of 1984, Chikatilo killed two women in Rostov's Aviator Park. On March 24th, he lured a 10-year-old boy named Dmitry Pashnikov away from a stamp kiosk. While walking with the boy, Chikatilo was seen by several witnesses who were able to give investigators a detailed description of the killer. When the boy's body was found three days later, police also found a footprint of the killer and both semen and saliva samples on the victim's clothing. He's not being very careful. No, absolutely not. He's not just at all. he's never made like a real attempt to hide a body yeah, either. Right. So what is that arrogance? Is that stupidity? Or is that braggadocious? That's a good question. But they could, keep finding the bodies. So you'd have to be really stupid to think, oh, they're not gonna find them. So is it yeah. arrogance or is he is he showing off? I guess the physical evidence part, they probably didn't have, even back at that time, the same, even anywhere near the same level of forensic, you know, science sure. that we had today. But the eyewitness stuff, it seemed like you'd be a little more careful. Yeah. So you don't put as much into the hiding of the bodies as you do just him yeah. walking around the... Yeah. Like, just walking around like that's sloppy, right? It, I would agree. I think you can make the assumption that they're, you know... Was he even thinking about any of this, though? 
That's true. He's was, I mean, blind rage and yeah. had the... Yeah, that's true. It's interesting. On May 25th, Chikatil killed a young woman named Tatiana Petrosian and her 10-year-old daughter, Svetlana, in a wooded area outside Shakti. Petrosian had known Chikatilo for several years prior to her murder. By the end of July, he had killed three additional young women between the ages of 19 and 21 and a 13-year-old boy. It's like a mother and daughter at the same time? Yeah. And someone that he knew. <sighs> In the summer of 1984, Chikatilo was fired from his work as a supply clerk for theft of a roll of linoleum. The accusation had been filed against him the previous February, and he had been asked to resign quietly, but had refused to do so, as he had denied the charges. Chikatilo found another job as a supply clerk in Rostov on August 1st. Fucking linoleum thief. It's, it's an outrage. It really is. <laughs> like, of all the things you could do, yeah. this is the worst. Exactly. Should have been killed on the spot. On August 2nd, Chikatilo killed a 16-year-old girl, Natalia Golosovskaya, in Aviators Park. On August 7th, he lured a 17-year-old girl, Ludmila Alexavelia, to the bank of the Don River on the pretense of showing her a shortcut to a bus terminal. Lumelia suffered 39 slash wounds to her body before Chikatilo mutilated and disemboweled her. Intentionally inflicting wounds he knew would not be immediately fatal. Her body was found in the following morning with her upper lip that had been cut off inside her mouth. All right. So here's the sadism level going way up. Yeah, like inflicting wounds that he knows wouldn't kill her. Yeah, that's, you know. Hours after her murder, Chikatilo flew out of town on a business trip. By the time he had returned to Rostov on August 15th, he had killed an unidentified young woman and a 10-year-old girl. Within two weeks, an 11-year-old boy named Alexander Chepel had been found on the banks of the Don River, strangled and castrated with his eyes gouged out, just yards away from where Ludmilla's body had earlier been found. Chikatilo then killed a young librarian, Irina Luchinskaya, in Aviators Park on September 6th. This motherfucker's ramping up. He's on a war path. As they're finding the bodies. So again, like, is he just arrogant? Does he not care? Or is he just dumb? Yeah, gives no fucks. On September 13th, 1984, Chikatilo was seen by two undercover detectives attempting to talk to a young woman at the Rostov bus station. The detectives followed him wandering through the city trying to approach young women. Upon Chikatilo's arrival at the city's central market, he was arrested and held. A search of his belongings revealed a knife with an 8-inch blade, several lengths of rope, and a jar of Vaseline. He was also found to be under investigation for minor theft for that linoleum, which gave the investigators the legal right to hold him for a prolonged period of time. All right, so we finally got this motherfucker. He's locked up. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> oh, oh, never mind. Chikatilo's physical description matched the description of the man seen walking alongside Dmitry Pashnikov prior to the boy's murder. A sample of Chikatilo's blood was taken. The results revealed his blood group to be type A, where a semen sample is found on a total of six victims murdered by the unknown killer throughout the spring and summer of 1984 have been classified by medical examiners to be type AB. This is an interesting part when we'll get into in part two that there is something with his blood that is mm -hmm. very rare that allows him to uh, to continue, and we'll get into that in part two. Wait a minute. You're telling me there's a second part to this episode? <laughs> Aghast. <laughs> Motherfucker, we're not finishing the story tonight? <laughs> Goddamn, pal. 
Chikatilo's name was added to the card index files used by investigators. However, the results of his blood type analysis largely discounted him as being the unknown killer. No, they had him. Yep. God. That's actually very interesting, mm. and that's one of Ian's best teasers, because obviously I don't know the story, but that whole blood type thing is pretty fascinating. It is I want to hear more. interesting. I want to hear more about that yeah. next week. That's not even me selling it. I legit want to hear more. Can't wait till he sends me the Maybe notes. you'll show up. That'll be great. Yeah. Probably won't. <laughs> yeah, it makes him like, at least for this time with DNA and things like that, like the perfect predator. Mm. So he was revealed to be a blood type A, but they believe the killer is a blood type AB. The semen. The, oh, the semen. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then there's a little twist. And we'll talk about that next week. Thanks for the recap. I just wanted to get, I wanted to make it clear. <laughs> I wanted to make it clear. Chikatilo was found guilty of theft of property from his previous employer and sentenced to one year in prison, but was freed on December 12th, 1984, after serving three months. He's out on the prowl again. Yep. They had this motherfucker. On October 8th, 1984, the head of the Russian Public Prosecutor's Office formally linked 23 of Chikatilo's murders into one case and dropped all charges against the mentally handicapped youths who had previously confessed to the murders. Upon his release from prison in 1984, Chikatilo found new work at a locomotive factory and kept a low profile. He did not kill again until August 1st, 1985, when on a business trip to Moscow, he encountered an 18-year-old woman named Natalia Poklistova at a railway platform. Natalia was lured into an area of woods where she was bound, stabbed 38 times, and then strangled to death. Mm. I was a uh, freshman in high school in August of 1985. What were you guys up to? Swinging my dad's dick. <laughs> my dad's dick. <laughs> just hanging out in there. Yeah, just swimming around. Yeah, and one of those balls, but, you know, waiting to be... <laughs> in that class just shot, ready to go waiting to be shot into your mom i was there ready to go <laughs> yeah i was up i was doing the same thing <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile they, dave's smoking doobies <laughs> listen to slayer that's uh that's what Dave was doing <laughs> <laughs> probably banging our moms who knows what was going on back then <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be the ultimate Necronome Pod story? Dave's one of our dads. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Based on the hypothesis that the killer had traveled from the Rostov blast to Moscow via air, investigators checked all aero flight records of passengers who had commuted between Moscow and the Rostov blast between late July and early August. On this occasion, however, Chikotelo had traveled to Moscow by train, so no documentation existed for investigators to research. Four weeks later, on August 27th, Chikotelo killed another young woman, Irina Gulieva, in Shakti. As had been the case with previous victims, the wounds inflicted on the victim linked her murder to the hunt for the serial killer. Do you think he was rubbing up on people on that train? Oh, Muscuzzi, Muscuzzi. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> In November 1985, a special prosecutor, Essa Kostoyev, was appointed to supervise the investigation, which had by this stage expanded to include 15 prosecutors and 29 detectives assigned to work exclusively on the manhunt. 
The known murders linked to the manhunt were carefully reinvestigated and police began another round of questioning of known sex offenders and homosexuals. Come on, cops. You're looking in the wrong place. Fucking commies, man. Right? The whole the whole gay thing in, in Russia and in Soviet in the Soviet Union, it's 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 so ridiculous. It still is, yeah. I know. To be can to be labeled as a potential criminal just based on your sexual orientation like that is yeah. outrageous. The following month the police resumed the patrolling of railway stations around Rostov and plainclothed female officers were ordered to loiter around bus and train stations. At the request of Viktor Burkov, police also took the step of consulting a psychiatrist, Dr. Alexander Bukhanovsky, which was the first such consultation in a serial killer investigation in the Soviet Union. All crime scene and medical examiner's reports were made available to Bukhanovsky upon the understanding he would produce a psychological profile of the unknown murderer for investigators. Bukhanovsky's 65-page psychological profile described the killer as a reclusive man aged between 45 and 50 years old who had endured a painful and isolated childhood and who was incapable of flirting or courtship with a woman. This individual was of average intelligence, likely to be married, and to have fathered children, but also a sadist who suffered from impotence and could achieve sexual arousal only by seeing his victim suffer. The murders themselves were an analog to the sexual intercourse this individual was incapable of performing, and his knife became the substitute for a penis, which failed to function normally. Because many of his killings had occurred on weekdays near mass transport hubs and across the entire Rostov Oblast, Bukhanovsky also argued the killer's work required him to travel regularly, and based on the actual days of the week when killings had occurred, the killer was most likely tied to a production schedule. I mean, spot on. This right? guy's fucking good. Yeah. This is like the the Russian super cop, yeah. right? That's almost 100% accurate. I ask this all the time. Ian, who was our super cop with fucking, what was it, Richard Chase? Ray Biondi. Yeah. Well, this is their fucking super cop. <laughs> well, this guy's the Russian fucking John Douglas with yeah, these psychological right. profiles. That was spot on. It's true. That's, that's I, you couldn't even profiles. get, he couldn't get more spot on than that. Yep. Amazing. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Chicatello followed the investigation carefully, reading newspaper reports about the manhunt for the killer, which had begun to appear in the news media. He was able to keep his urges to murder under control for about a year, but he still had 20 more victims left to kill, and that is where we will pick back up on part two. 20 more? Mm. Yep. Damn. These guys love reading their own press clippings, don't they? Yeah. Like BTK fucking commenting on him, the police. This guy's very similar to BTK. He seems to be, right? And in suffer I mean, he's described as just like this the like personally know him, like kind of the same type of person as BTK, like this insufferable piece of shit, just the dry personality. Nobody fucking liked him. Yep. Stickler for rules and shit at his job. Just yeah, he has a lot of similarities. Mm, interesting. Okay. Ian, uh, Ian, you got anything else to wrap up on uh, part one of this uh, this guy? You got anything else? This flaccid uh, fable? Yeah, this flaccid <laughs> fable. You got anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think the, mo- the most interesting part of this, doing the outline, was Bukowski's uh, profile of him. Cause I, Pretty I, impressive. 
that's the most impressive one of any serial killer I've read about. Like usually there's like, okay, yeah, that, that's really thing. That's mm-hmm. really accurate. But this one was like from top to bottom was spot on. He, he can them. you, can you, was this published? Is that, is, is his profile public record? I guess is my question. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, now it is like, now it has been like, I was just wondering, like, is there any bit of like, you know, just people manipulating it to make it look better than it was That's a good question. because of the communist regime and, oh, you know, wanting you know to make I someone don't... look spectacular. Cause oh. this is, this is almost too perfect. Like this is Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, perfect season. Perfect. Like they wrote it after they, right. Yeah. Of course Tom Brady didn't, but of course <laughs> Tom Brady. They just deflated the so, footballs. I don't know. I, that was just my only thought. Was it like you know, are they fucking? Are they stealing a win here or what? It's a good question. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll I'll look into that for part two. Just thoughts to uh, think about. That was my only thought. Ian, you had no other thoughts for this this part one. Nope. Dave, what do you got? Anything else for this one? Hmm. No. It's I a really wild don't. tale. It is. Uh, it's pretty sadistic. The whole eyes thing. I I find interesting. Gouging out the eyes. The eyes thing is weird for me, and I try not to dive into it too yeah. much because anytime someone starts talking about like something happening to eyes, my eyes sure. start watering. You know, if someone says they got punched in the eye or their eyes swelled up because of an allergy, mm. my eyes like I'm very sensitive when it comes to eyes. It's the only thing I can't really take. Mm. I don't know. Maybe we'll hypnotize you when you see someone's red eye. They'll do it. <laughs> so they're, I'll probably throw up or something. I don't know. I'm also very weak. Are you guys weak to onions being cut? Like I, cr- I do cry not, not really, when there's onions no. being cut in the room. My eyes mm. cry. Yeah. Pussy. You know what I would Pussy. like to see him watch, Dave? <laughs> what? No, I'm not. Uh, fucking, now I'm not going to watch it. Of course. <laughs> Getting all cryptic about it. You know what I'd like to see him watch, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> Oberyn get killed in Game of Thrones. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, probably. You'd like that. Yeah, I'm sure I wouldn't. What I also what Some I also hate action. hate the finale yeah. for the last show like you guys all did or other people did, yeah maybe. Anyways, oh with the the season finale for Game of Thrones or the series yeah I have one like that's like one of the most controversial ones right like there's people are uh, so split on whether yeah, or not it was sure good. sure yeah I liked it so I'm I'm I know I'm a minority in that but yeah I liked it I almost want to watch the whole series just to see where I stand on the finale do it because people are so split I on triple it. dog dare you to people do are it. so split on it though <laughs> well, I don't want to see any fucking eye eye poking man oh before it was all the penises now it's the eye well, I don't want to see that either I'll skip season one can I skip a season two can I just catch up from there no well fuck it no. it's not gonna happen folks don't I go back up. and forth with that final season I don't know that's the season the finale is what people well, talk about well that's but it's the the, it's all connected yeah okay so it was a little lazy i thought the writing was lazy you accept it that. but it was lazy it was it was okay i didn't hate it it was could a, have been better. It was a little lazy a little could have been a little better right. storytelling okay that's what happens when fucking martin takes uh 10 years to write a goddamn book yeah sure <laughs> at the same time too you're talking about one of like the biggest shows of all time right like it's it's one of the people Love that show. You're not going to win no matter what you do. There was just some glaring, I don't know. Like the whole thing with Arya, she spent the whole arc of the show trying to get to Cersei. And then she finally gets there and the guy's like, hey, you better turn around and leave. She's like, oh, okay. People who don't watch the <laughs> show, just, just go ahead and tune out for right now. They're going to talk about it. It just didn't make any sense. Like, you know, and then, you know. I mean, I understand what you're saying, though. Like they, they make yeah. a whole arc and then she's just like, yeah. no. And Cersei and Jamie just standing there under the. 
you know, and the boulders fall on them like, you know, two feet over. There were no boulders. It was just some of it was just a little silly. I don't Do like you think silliness. shows are better when they don't close every story? They just kind of leave it open ended sometimes because I actually think that's probably when you're better off. Like, just leave it a little bit more open-ended, and then everyone can think their own little thing. I think of Californication. He gets on a plane yeah. with with uh, Karen, and then that's it. You know, they're going to their daughter's wedding. You don't know what's going to happen. Nothing really finalized or closed up. Yeah. And then it was a fantastic ending. Yeah, it was fine. And then you think of, like, Seinfeld. Like, they go to jail. It was terrible. Eh, it's not good. Not good at all. You'd ask Larry David, though. It was a great ending. <laughs> But like, like when depends. they when you finalize shows, you are finalizing them, and then it's very like black or white. You like it or you don't. I think when you leave shows open ended, you it's better for people because then they're like they can come up with their own conclusions. Sometimes that's my thought. I, and of I course, of course, of course, with with every, you know with shows, it's different. I guess I, I think American audiences are conditioned to happy endings, and they always need things wrapped up neatly and happy endings and like just if you watch a lot of foreign films it's just not like that they don't everything's not geared towards a happy ending at the end you know? i'm not even saying a happy ending though like i'm just saying like an open-ended ending yeah like, you know, I, I agree with you yeah. things you don't, don't always need to, need to be you don't tied need up to in have a bow. Like the yeah. beautiful wedding and then you yeah. know butterflies and rainbows i agree with that yeah it's unrealistic and it makes things silly sometimes that's why i don't understand everybody being so uh so upset by how daenerys turns out and, yeah, great. She didn't turn into a good guy. She was talking shit, the potential, saying potential off the rails things since the first season. Uh, so. I didn't. Yeah, I hated other. I didn't dislike that part as much as some other things. I mean, the show's been out for how long? You guys can talk about it. Like, it's okay. No, no we, spoiler alerts. No, talk are. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She well, you were just goes saying, like, off the rails things. and starts torturing. I didn't people. know. I didn't know if Dave was saying that like hint, like he didn't want to get no, into no, it. No, he I hated just, or he just didn't want to get into it. I mean, at this point, if you haven't watched actually, it, you haven't watched it. Yeah. I always root for the bad guys and everything. So when she went off the rails and started torching everybody with the fucking dragon, I loved every second of it. I I don't disagree with that because Cersei was my absolute favorite on the show, and I was rooting for her to win all of it and kill everyone. And so when she died, I was a little disappointed because <laughs> she was the absolute best part of that show. So, yeah, I'm with you. I did not expect to have this Game of Thrones chat at the end of the episode. See, where did that come didn't. from? Huh? It's been a while it. since we talked about it. Yeah. Well, the show's been over for how long? I mean, come on. A few years. Move on, folks. Says the guy who brings up The Office every other episode. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. All right. Patreon shout outs. This looks like an easier list. Hopefully, I get through these names without butchering them. I don't want to fuck up again. Uh, Tom Jones. Yeah, I don't want to Fred even... Smith. No? Tell you what. Well... Not that easy. Oh, okay. Anyways, we got some new patrons we want to shout out. Thank you very much to Stacy Becker, Danielle Wilson, Lindsay, Hannah Lacombe, Janine Clark, George Homich, Eric Cunningham, Chris Thompson, Ryan Parlich, Brian Stanford, Joshua Kiesecker, and Chelsea Reckers. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate your support. We are at patreon.com slash necronomapod. Ian, uh, what shout-out you got for us? This whole fucking time, you could have been pulling them up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know we were doing this tonight. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to end the show with you asking me what shout-outs we had. <laughs> for iTunes, I just have one. For Patience, Ali Sabath, thank you for the awesome review. Boom. One. 
I think we need some more reviews One. than that. What the hell's going on out there? People, get on iTunes. Come, Come on, on, get out there and write some reviews. Until we switch to Spotify, and then just, we don't give a shit. <laughs> then fuck them, right? <laughs> Dave, you got any last shout Why? Outs? Why treat iTunes like this? Why? Because fuck them, that's why. <laughs> they really have done us no favors, and they're so fucking corrupt with their fucking <laughs> lists that it's ridiculous. You pay to be on there. Apparently. I have nothing. I have nothing to note. All right. Nothing of note. Well, we'll finish this uh, fantastic tale next week. Uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Necronemapod. Check us out. Give us a follow. And uh, that's it. See you next week. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>